As we turn our attention to the scriptures, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we'll be in Luke 19 in the New Testament. This is the story of Zacchaeus, and um, if you've not been with us, our, our Lenten series, we've taken one character at a time in the Gospels and paid attention to what transformation happened in their life when they encountered Jesus. When they encountered Jesus, what changed? How were they affected? What was different about people after they met Jesus, after they encountered him? And in the case of the Gospels, they have encountered him face to face. We've thought about Pharisees like Nicodemus and future disciples like Philip and Andrew. We saw that a Roman centurion had already been quite transformed by, by God's goodness and grace. And Jesus affirms that along the way. And now last week and this week, we're spending some time with tax collectors, which was nobody's favorite person in the days of Jesus. So we saw Matthew, who when Jesus said, follow me, not when Jesus said, shame on you for being a bad person, not when Jesus said, you really need to straighten your life out, not when Jesus said, you need to be a better person, but rather when Jesus said, follow me. Matthew left everything to follow Jesus. But today we come to another tax collector, a chief tax collector at that, Zacchaeus. And already, some of you probably learned a song in a church basement long ago. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. So, that's where we're going to be today, in Luke chapter 19. But before we read God's word together, let's pray. Jesus, you have called us to follow you. You look in our direction with love, with righteousness, with justice, and with mercy. As you look our way today, just as you looked Zacchaeus's way all those years ago, may we hear your voice through your word. May you speak to us today just as clearly as you spoke to Zacchaeus in a tree those years ago. Speak to us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit, today and always. Amen. Luke chapter 19. Verses 1 through 10. And after the reading of God's word, I'll say, This is the word of the Lord. And if you are grateful, I invite you to respond by saying, Thanks be to God. Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus was, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Salvation has come to this house. That's a transforming word. but There's some things that lead up to it in this encounter of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So I think about what that means, what it evokes within us. I'm actually drawn back to one of my middle school teachers. In seventh grade science, I had the, the gift of being a student of Miss Lewandowski. She got married later that year and her name changed, but when I had her as a teacher, she was Miss Lewandowski. And I remember two things, but starting with the one that had the biggest impression on me, the thing that, that I will never forget, there was a student who we'll call her Mary. Um, Mary was a disorganized student. Um, she had a regular chronic habit of not having her homework with, whether she did it or not was unclear, it just wasn't there. Um, she forgot her books. Um, she would show up without a lot of stuff. And it just seemed to kind of be a habit for Mary. I look back now, not as a fellow seventh grade student, thinking, wow, what a disorganized student. Um, but I look back now and I wonder, I wonder if our home lives were pretty different, Mary and I. I wonder if there was some stuff going on at home that probably might have made her the disorganized student that she was, that we knew. But that's not what you think of when you're a seventh grader. You just know that there's someone who always forgets their books and always forgets their homework. But what I remember, clear as if it were yesterday, was one day when an English teacher in seventh grade had had enough of Mary's forgetfulness. And as I was sitting in the back of the science classroom, I could hear Mr. Green yelling at Mary. And it wasn't just that it was in the hallway, but her next class was science with Miss Lewandowski. And as Mary came into the classroom, Mr. Green followed her and continued to berate her and chew her a new one because she had forgotten stuff again, again, again. Now, when you're a young person, you have those moments where you realize that adults, even people in authority, can act immaturely and out of line. And there was something about this episode that we all took in and we knew this is like out of line, this is not okay. But we're also the students watching this play out. Mr. Green walked into the science classroom and continued to yell at Mary. And Miss Lewandowski, who was probably fresh out of college, 23, 24 years old, against this much older man, First, she stayed at her desk and said, Mr. Green, she's mine now. But Mr. Green persisted, ignoring this woman, and continued to yell at this student who is sobbing. She has lost it. She is broken and cannot control herself. And then Miss Lewandowski stood up and walked between Mary and Mr. Green and stood up tall against him and said, Mr. Green, she is mine now. You may leave. And to that, with a bristle of his mustache, Mr. Green walked out. And all of us were amazed and knew 
you do not mess with Miss Lewandowski. Mr. Green thinks he's tough because he lost his temper like an immature child and chewed out a student and made her cry in front of all of her classmates. Good job. You lost it. You're the least mature person in the room. But Miss Lewandowski was just awesome in ways that our classmates said that we probably won't repeat in church. But she was awesome and inspiring. I think back on that moment, and I realize that that's a picture of what salvation looks like. That is the, the wrath of God, though God's wrath is righteous and just against our sin, but coming after us, and we are broken, we are as broken as Mary was that day, breaking down in tears and sobbing. We are broken with the weight of our sin and our error and our forgetfulness. And there is a wrath that follows us until salvation comes and stands between us and wrath and says, no, they are mine now. That Jesus stands in the gap between our sinfulness and our holiness and protects us from all wrath and looks at you and says, you are mine now, which means you are protected, you are covered. My presence is a place of refuge. Salvation has come to you today. And that angry voice needs to go away. It's not welcome here anymore. It doesn't have power over you anymore. You are now under my care. And Miss Lewandowski let Mary go to the bathroom with a friend to collect herself. And I wonder what other aftermath happened from that whole incident. But I just remember the force and power. She's mine now. And that Jesus looks at all of us and says, you're mine now. And to all of our inner critics and the demons that chase us down and speak lies into our lives and tell us that we're not enough and that we're a, we're a screw-up and that we're a failure, that Jesus says to all of those voices, no, they are mine now. You may leave. That's one thing I remember from Miss Lewandowski. I think I learned things about science too, but that was the big takeaway lesson. That's salvation showing up and standing in the gap, much in the way that Jesus stands in the gap for us. But there's something else that first drew my attention in this text to uh, thinking about the responses of Matthew, who is a tax collector, and Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And thinking about something else that Miss Lewandowski taught us, and she reminded us at the beginning of both the fall and spring semester. She said, students, you have two ways to approach the semester, two mindsets, and I don't care which one you choose. You can either say to yourself, I have a zero in this class, and I need to work my way up to the best grade that I can get. Or you can say, hey, I haven't made any mistakes yet. I have a hundred in this class, and I need to work to keep my grade high. You can think of it either way. You have a zero and need to work your way up, or hey, no mistakes, I really have 100% out of zero right now. I have 100%. I just need to keep it up there. And her point was, I don't care which way you look at it. I don't care which way you do. But you have to choose one of those mindsets and stick to it. And choose whichever one will allow you to do your absolute best. How will you do the most good in my classroom? Pick your mindset. Whichever response, whichever one works for you. But make sure that your best 
is actually your best. None of this half-hearted, well, I did my best. Did you? Do you have a hundred that you're keeping or a zero that you're trying to work up from? Do your actual best. There's mindsets that you can choose. They're both good, they're both helpful, but it's not about which one you choose. It's about making sure that you really are going to do your best with what you have. This is where I think of Matthew and Zacchaeus. Matthew heard the call from Jesus, follow me, and he left the tax collector booth. He abandoned his way of life, moved on from it, and followed Jesus on the new and greater adventure. Absolutely a good and faithful response. Zacchaeus has salvation declared over his household, and he doesn't leave. He changes. He is transformed by this encounter with Jesus and has public evidence of it that he's going to put it into practice. But there's nothing in the New Testament that tells us that Zacchaeus left being a tax collector. Zacchaeus stayed. And this is his most faithful response to the gospel call. You can leave all that you knew and go, or you can stay and do the most good that you possibly can exactly where you are. This is also a good and faithful response. Zacchaeus and Matthew both responded differently to the transformation of Christ. But for our purposes and what we learn and what we seek to do the same is that they both responded with faithfulness. They both responded in a way that would have real change and transformation in their lives. Matthew would go on to write the Gospel of Matthew. Zacchaeus, well, he's a bit of a mystery. We don't know everything that happened afterwards. We'll come back to that with a little bit of imagination. There's different responses to following Jesus well. I think sometimes we think, well, maybe if people respond to Jesus, they go off and become missionaries. And in fact, some do, and they travel overseas. But every single one of the missionaries that we support at North Holland will tell us that we are to be missionaries where we are too. In that way, we're not so different. You can go or you can stay. But where you go, you go with Jesus. And where you stay, you stay with Jesus, wherever in the world that takes you. There is the women who followed Jesus, who left everything behind, the women who went to the tomb. There was those who stayed close to Jesus that way and went wherever he went. And then there was Lydia in Acts chapter 16. One of those who heard the gospel was a woman of the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Lydia stays in the city that she's in. But her home becomes a hub for the gospel. She is transformed by the gospel message, but she stays exactly where she is. And we know that later on, after Paul and Silas were out of prison, they went to where? To Lydia's house in Acts 16.40, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. Some travel the world. Some stay exactly where they are. But both are mindset responses to how the transforming work of Jesus changes us. Stay or go, that's how. But the point is the same, that you seek to do the most good with what you have wherever you are. I think Zacchaeus 
can be a helpful reminder that staying exactly where we are is just as much of an option when it comes to the gospel message. To stay and to be faithful and to change the place where you are, where you have roots and power and relationships and influence, is just as much of a response as it is to sell all your possessions and leave and go somewhere completely different. Both are measures of transformation. And I wonder, Zacchaeus who stays, Zacchaeus who was seen by Jesus while he was in a fig tree, and I'm just curious, by show of hands, how many people have climbed a tree in the last year? Not, not Ben. I don't let my kids climb trees unless they can reach them. Okay, for the most part, any, anyone over 45 climbed a tree in the last year? Ethan, you're not 45. <laughs> Adults don't tend to climb trees as much, especially, I mean, Zacchaeus is wealthy, like really wealthy. Like he has extra money around to be like, I got money. Um, Zacchaeus, I'm looking for a better word than that, but, um, but Zacchaeus has lots and lots of money which means he probably dresses really, really well. So just to remember that this scene is a little bit ridiculous, that Zacchaeus is like dressed in our equivalent of like a tuxedo or a three-piece business suit or however business suits work. Zacchaeus is dressed nice. And he's in robes, right? And he's climbing a tree. I'll let your imaginations work out how ridiculous that looks. But Zacchaeus has an urgency to see Jesus, to the point where just to get a look at Jesus, just to see him, just to see his face from a distance, Zacchaeus is willing to climb a tree. Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus will climb a tree to save Zacchaeus. You catch that parallel? Zacchaeus will go on a tree to see Jesus. Jesus will go on a tree to be crucified for Zacchaeus, and for all of us. There is something desperate and urgent that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, even just to see him. I wonder if we can understand and tap into a little bit of Zacchaeus' energy for that, that we would so desperately and urgently want to spend time with Jesus that, that we would do almost anything to just protect that time that we have with Jesus that we would go out of our way as Zacchaeus went out of his way to climb a tree, that, that we would even do some ridiculous things to just keep a little bit of time with Jesus. Zacchaeus does that, but Jesus also sees Zacchaeus. And he seems to have some urgency in connecting with him. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Get out of that tree. Because I must stay at your house today. I have to. Jesus is saying, I just have to spend time with you, Zacchaeus. Our urgency to see Jesus, if we're anything like Zacchaeus, is met with Jesus' immediate mustness to spend time with us. I must spend time with you today, says Jesus. That is what is met with our longing to see Jesus, as if Jesus was waiting for us the whole time. There's an urgency that they both meet each other with. And I wonder, 
what all Jesus saw in Zacchaeus. We talked about Matthew, this tax collector who wasn't very well liked, and that Jesus must have seen some potential in Matthew, that Jesus probably saw in Matthew, you, you can write, you can keep records, you can guard the truth and make it understandable to those around you. That Jesus saw that greater perspective of Matthew than Matthew had probably ever seen in himself. And what does Jesus see in Zacchaeus? Probably knowing full well that he'll stay in Jericho as a tax collector. I wonder if Jesus saw a transformed Jericho through Zacchaeus. I wonder if Jesus, in his omniscience, all-knowingness, I wonder if Jesus saw Zacchaeus and thought, if I change your life, you can change this whole city. Why and how? Zacchaeus is not just any tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. Chief tax collectors are only in three cities in the ancient, in the ancient Palestine. Caesarea Philippi, Capernaum, and Jericho. Three main regions around the Decapolis, a bunch of other cities, around the Decapolis that were on the trade route so that all of the money from the region would be filtered to Caesarea Philippi, Capernaum, and Jericho, and then from there on to the rest of the Roman Empire. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector in Jericho. He is in the hub of one of the wealthiest trade regions that the Roman Empire had control of in that area. So Matthew is a tax collector who has made some good money on overcharging people and the dishonest practices of the tax collectors of the day. Zacchaeus is like his regional district manager. All of the money that a Matthew collects goes through the hands of Zacchaeus on its way somewhere else. And Jesus has changed the life of Zacchaeus. I must stay with you today. And Zacchaeus, we read it. Zacchaeus is like, I'm going to give back half my possessions to the poor. And even though Old Testament law would say sometimes you have to give a fifth of the value of something you stole as restitution, Zacchaeus says, I'm given four times as much. Because this overwhelming grace of Jesus that has suddenly stood in the gap between everything that is screaming at me has stood in the gap for me, and it has transformed me. But if Zacchaeus is still in Jericho after Jesus leaves, he's the chief tax collector. He is the boss of all of the other tax collectors. And if Zacchaeus has gone honest, <laughs> what does that mean for everyone else? If Zacchaeus is going to be honest from now on, then what about all those underneath him? Would Zacchaeus, in fact, transform the city of Jericho? We don't know. But we can imagine that Jesus saw a lot of potential in Zacchaeus and saw him as the gateway to transformation to a convert in Jericho. And so he called him. I wonder if Zacchaeus went from being unpopular with his own people, but popular with tax collectors, that he might have switched and become popular with people again because he's gone honest. He's shooting straight now. And I wonder if he became unpopular with his only friends who were other tax collectors because he's going to put an end to how things have been because Jesus' life has transformed his life. What does Jesus see when he looks at dear Zacchaeus? 
I'd like to use my imagination that Jesus saw a lot and that Zacchaeus probably did a lot because he chose not to go but to stay. That was the mindset that he went with that God used to transform a man, his household, and a city. I wonder what Jesus sees when he looks at you. Whether you're a Matthew or a Zacchaeus or a Mary or a Lydia, what does Jesus see when he looks at you and thinks, here's the potential that I see in what you do. Here's how I see your home or your ministry or the words that you speak in your workplace as a refuge and comfort and gospel proclamation wherever you go. Here's how I see your ability to be a hospitable presence in an inhospitable world. I don't know. But I know that Jesus sees us with a lot of love. With righteousness, certainly, with the full knowledge of our sins and all that we've done wrong, and yet an overwhelming, amazing grace through it all to see our true potential. There's one last thing with this Zacchaeus story that that we just have to draw our attention to in the Gospel of Luke because it's one of those things that when we read through a couple chapters a day, we, we can easily miss. We're in Luke 19, right, with Zacchaeus. But in the previous chapter, in Luke 18, if you still have your Bibles open, great, look up with me. Um, If not, just listen along. But in Luke 18, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And you know, the rich young ruler is kind of that self-sufficient person who can stand on his own two feet that that Aaron uh, talked about in Confession, where we kind of got this all handled, right? The rich young ruler doesn't need much. He just wants to know how he can inherit eternal life. He wants to know how he can earn salvation. And Jesus is like, well, keep the commandments. And he's like, in verse 21, well, I've kept these all since I was a boy. Okay. Anyone who talks about their adolescence or teenage years and is like, oh, I kept all the laws even as a child. Come on. I can't help but to be a little bit skeptical of that. I was just telling Dale and Dee Veldier a story of my childhood, and they're like, come on, Pastor Stephen can't even say that. But you're sworn to secrecy, because that was really private conversation in the greeting area. So, yeah. Um, My parents are here today, too, so there's more stories. but, But then he goes on, and Jesus said, well, you still lack one thing. Can you imagine the suspense? Oh, just one? Oh, I can check that box in a heartbeat. You still lack one thing, says Jesus. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Probably not as wealthy as Zacchaeus, though. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? That question is raised in Luke chapter 18, verse 26. Who then can be saved? Because it sounds almost impossible for anyone to be saved, much less someone as wealthy as Zacchaeus. Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Who then can be saved? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, of all people, easily the wealthiest person in all of Jericho. Zacchaeus 
is the one who can be saved. After we hear a rich young ruler who can't accept salvation because he can't give anything up, the transforming power of Jesus transforms Zacchaeus, the wealthiest of wealthy men. And Jesus declares, today salvation has come to your house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham, a righteous one. Zacchaeus from Hebrew, Zadok, the righteous. Who then can be saved? Zacchaeus. Anyone who comes to God's grace. And who is Jesus looking to save? Well, that's chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Jesus, when we are lost, you call us. You look at us in whatever tree that we have climbed, in whatever closet we've gone to cry in. You look at us and say that you must spend time with us today. You came to seek and save all who are lost. And salvation comes with you. For when we are lost and when we are broken, you come to heal and to be the way. You saved Zacchaeus. You saved us. So whatever trees we climb to get a look at you, may we remember as we draw closer to Easter that you were put on a tree for us, for our sins and our salvation. And through you, the fullness of joy comes to our house today. Lord, you saw Zacchaeus and you see us. And this is enough for us today. Amen.